0: Good morning, and welcome to Bookends, the monthly Meet the Author podcast from the Team Approach, featuring books for managers, supervisors, and HRD practitioners. I'm Susan Stam, and I'm pleased to welcome John DeGraff to our show today. John is the editor of Take Back Your Time, Fighting Overwork and Time Poverty in America. To order a copy of our featured book today, you can visit Take Back Your time, the Take Back Your Time website at Uh, www.timeday.org, where you will find discussion guides, posters, and much more. John DeGraff is the National Coordinator of Take Back Your Time Day, an annual event scheduled for October the 24th, and a frequent speaker on issues of overwork and overconsumption in America. In addition to editing Take Back Your Time, John is also the co-author of the best-selling Affluenza, The All-Consuming Epidemic, and a children's book called David Brower, Friend of the Earth. John has worked with KCTS-TV, the Seattle PBS affiliate, for 23 years as an independent producer of television documentaries. More than 15 of his programs have been broadcast in prime time nationally on PBS. He is also the recipient of more than 100 regional, national, and international awards for filmmaking. He's produced the popular PBS specials Running Out of Time, an examination of overwork and time pressure in in America, and Affluenza, a humorous critique of American consumerism. Prior to his work in TV, DeGraff was a public affairs director at KUMD Radio in Duluth, Minnesota. He has taught documentary film production at the University of Washington and Evergreen State College. He's the founder of the Hazel Wolf Environmental Film Festival and the former president of the Hazel Wolf Environmental Film Network. He is also the recipient of the Founders of a New Northwest Award for his work in environmental media. John is also the co chair of the Public Policy Committee for the Simplicity Forum, a national think tank for the voluntary simplicity movement. John DeGraff, I've been eagerly anticipating this interview for many, many weeks, and I'd like to welcome you to Bookends.
1: Well, thanks. Good to be on the program.
0: John, October the 24th, uh, we'll be celebrating the fifth annual Take Back Your Time Day here in the U.S. Can you explain the significance of this date, why you selected this particular date, and tell us if the date is still technically accurate since you first established it in 2003?
1: Sure. Well, the funny thing is we actually established the date because we were looking at it was a suggestion of one of our members that we find a date that was about nine weeks before the end of the year uh, to illustrate the fact that Americans, at least at that time, were working on average about 350 hours, about nine weeks longer than Western Europeans were working. And so we picked a Friday that was nine weeks before the end of the year, and that happened to be October 24th. We uh, found out sometime later, actually, that October 24th is also the anniversary of the date in U.S. history in 1938 when the U.S. officially got the 40-hour work week hmm. as part of the Fair Labor Standards Act. So we've kept the date there. Uh, roughly speaking, the U.S. still is working eight, nine weeks longer each year of American workers than Western Europeans. So the date holds in that way as well. But we'll keep the date because it's a reminder of the Fair Labor Standards Act, and this year... On October 24th, we'll be looking at the 70th anniversary of that act. Hmm. 70th
0: anniversary. So, right. so, so how did we get to this place? You mentioned eight to nine weeks longer that we work here in the U.S. Would you say that work has become an American value? And if so, when and how did this happen to us?
1: Well, we do, and people in Europe do talk about how Americans live to work and Europeans work to live, and there there seems to be some truth to that. We've we've always valued hard work, and certainly I have no objection to that. I think hard work is an important thing, but I think to some degree we've gotten out of balance in this country. When we look at the promise of technology and of leisure that was presented to us in the late 1960s, for example, uh, we, we thought that we could... We could live the same kind of lifestyle we lived then and work considerably less. And, in fact, at that time, Americans were working about the same number of hours per year as Europeans were. That is, around 1970, we were about even with Europeans in the number of hours worked. Uh, Since that time, that has changed appreciably as they have added quite a bit of uh, holidays, certainly a a great deal of vacation time, uh, things like extended family leave and other, and and shorter work weeks by law that have given them uh, much shorter annual working time. So, you know, I think there has been a, there is a big focus in the United States. There are some who will tell us, for example, there's a new book out called Gross National Happiness. Written by a uh, conservative fellow who's the president of the American Enterprise Institute, who says that it would be awful for Americans to have longer vacations and all these kind of things. Mm-hmm. It would only make them miserable because they just love their work so much. <laughs> well, it's funny because the Gallup poll company does a daily poll of how happy Americans are, mm. and what it's fi- and you can check that up on Gallup. You can see those those numbers, and what it finds is that on weekends and days off, Americans are about 20 percent happier on the days that they're working. So we don't just love to work, but we've been really kind of caught up in it, and I think we don't really understand what other people have and take for granted.
0: Yeah, that's for certain. Your 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 book is is a wonderful collection of essays of noted thought leaders on all aspects of this important topic. And in the first section of the book, you feature an essay by former Harvard economist Julie uh Juliet Shore, who presents some some hard numbers on the rise of our American work hours. Can you help us understand her findings related both to time and productivity and explain why sometimes these data can uh, be tricky to understand?
1: Well, they can be. Uh, Juliet Shore has used national numbers, and some people say that that many people tend to over-report their their work numbers in these kind of surveys. There's another kind of survey called the uh, Time Diary Surveys that are done by a fellow named John Robinson at the University of Maryland and and another fellow named Jeff Godby uh, at the University of Michigan, Uh, they found for some time uh, they disagreed with Juliet Shore and actually were saying that Americans were getting more leisure time and that work hours were not going up. Shore had said that uh, Americans today were working uh, at least a month longer than they were, for example, in the late 60s. Godby and, and Robinson disagreed with that and said, uh, if anything, there had been a slight move toward more leisure time. I think in the last few years, um, uh, Gadbi and uh, Robinson have also measured some increase in working hours uh, among Americans. And what they also have said is that that um, people really do feel more and more pressed. Life is just simply much faster paced. Uh, even if the hours worked are not necessarily longer, the pressure in the workplace and how fast people need to work to keep up with the new technologies, for example, is much greater. And consequently, people do feel more stressed.
0: Mm-hmm. I would tend to agree. Uh, in, in 1938, and you've already uh, spoken about this a little earlier, Congress passed the Fair Labor Standards Act to protect American workers from having to work more than 40 hours with at least getting some overtime pay. Uh, Barbara Brandt, another author in the book's uh, discussion about American uh, business and, and how they're using this to their advantage was interesting and enlightening. Can you share some of her findings with us?
1: Well, I think one thing that Barbara points out and many have pointed out is that the 40-hour work week applies only to uh, hourly workers. And so what you do is you can classify someone as a as a manager, for example, and uh, actually have them be exempt from the 40-hour standard. Mm. We have done that more and more in in recent years, and there's been quite a bit of disagreement over... Uh, what you can call a manager, but essentially uh, anybody who supervises anybody else at all or has any sort of potential managerial duty, no matter how small, now seems to be uh, put in that category. I was um, reading the, uh, some of the stats in the uh, Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development fact book for 2007, and what I discovered in there was that the fact book said that uh, uh, American women were far more in far more higher numbers, likely to be managers than in any other country, and, and that was sort of interesting to me because we 're not uh, American women are far not far more likely to be in parliament or heads of state or things of that sort. And mm-hmm. I was interested in this, and so what I discovered was that Americans of all uh, uh, both genders, male and female, are much more likely to be managers they 're classified that way so that over time doesn 't have to be paid, so that 's sort of a that's sort of an interesting thing. Uh, the fact is that the, though the Fair Labor Standards Act, I think 70 years old, is much in need of of, of some changes and adjustments. And I think one thing we might begin to think about is, is a four-day work week, especially in light of some of the environmental and energy issues that we're facing.
0: Do you think people are interested in a four-day work week at this point and are ready for it, John?
1: Uh, there's no question that there's a lot of interest, both among workers and businesses, in a four-day work week. The real question is how that gets administered, and what kind of four days. Uh, if we simply go, as for example, the state of Utah has done recently, to four ten-hour days. I'm not sure that's an improvement, although many single individuals and people who have don't have major family responsibilities will certainly like having the extra day off. There's simply no question about that. Mm-hmm. But for families with small children, it's pretty tough to put in those 10 hours and, and be able to deal with daycare and, and being there for, for kids at all. Uh, what I think we need to do is think about maybe first four nine-hour days uh, so that um, we, we can go and get used to the idea of four day work weeks, uh, and then, and then move with the goal being four eight hour days so that, uh, that people really also have some time for their family life in the days that they're working and have that extra time off. I think what we'll find is that productivity, worker attitudes, and all of those things will improve appreciably. The, the Kellogg Company in the 1930s tried a, a famous experiment in which they went to six hour days, five six hour days. Hmm. Uh, Kellogg originally paid his workers for their 30 hour work week. He paid them 35 hours, not the 40 that they'd been getting before, but mm-hmm. made a compromise so that the workers didn't have to take such a pay cut, uh, as they would have if they'd been paid only for 30. But what Kellogg found was that within two years, his workers were so much more productive than they had been that he was able to pay them for 40 hours of work. Wow. All that changed later with the coming of benefits, which made it much uh, much more profitable for businesses to hire fewer people and work them longer hours.
0: Hmm. Interesting. I wasn't aware of that.
1: And though. that's in the in the book. There's a, there's a whole section on Kellogg in the chapter by Ben Honeycutt. Hmm.
0: There are a, there are a number of disturbing work fatigue stories in the book, and uh, I wondered if you might be able to share from your experience some that illustrate the impact of these excessively long work hours that you uh, talk about discuss in the book. Well,
1: personally, uh, we constantly get anecdotal stories from people of the long hours that they've had to had to put in. Uh, we do know, for example, in in, in factual terms that uh, own, uh, uh, Americans and Japanese work, uh, are most likely to work extra-long hours, that is, hours over 48 per week among industrial countries. The British do pretty badly at that as well, but uh, some 20-plus percent of Americans are working over 48 hours a week, and the average work week has crept up to somewhere around 45 hours. That's a lot of strain. In Japan, they have much more anecdotal evidence because people have little, literally, many of them, um, you know, had a heart attack at their desk and died. And mm-hmm. the Japanese have a term from that. for that. They call it karoshi, or death from overwork. And that, that's been a big issue of, of discussion there. Uh, I assume that some of those kinds of things happen here, we, but we haven't heard as much about it. I hear a lot of stories, uh, though, particularly I hear a lot of stories about people who simply never get any vacation time mm-hmm. and the strain that that puts on them. I was in Florida last year. Uh, in uh, um, Jacksonville and I, my plane uh, uh, was, was uh, uh, canceled. My flight was canceled to go back to Seattle. I had to stay over an extra day. So I went to a nearby motel, a chain motel, and when I got there, the clerk asked me how I was and I said, I'm not good because my flight was canceled and I can't get home. How are you? And she said, well, I'm not good because my vacation was canceled mm. and I asked her to tell me more And she explained that it had been canceled for seven years in a row. She hadn't had a vacation in seven years, despite the fact that she, on her contract it gave her two weeks of vacation time. And I said, well, how could they do that? And I said, well, they always say that they don't have anyone to cover me, and so they pay me two extra weeks for my time. She says, but frankly, I'm I'm going crazy. You know, I haven't had any time off. We know that people put in that situation are absolutely uh, putting their, their health at risk.
0: Absolutely. I completely agree. Even even here in America, however, some organizations have actually discovered the benefits of working less, and uh, you do point out some really great examples of this. SAS and Gen Coa incorporated uh, stories about those organizations in your book. Can you tell us about an organization that has realized some of these benefits and what that's looked like for them?
1: Well certainly uh, it has meant increases in productivity and profitability for for companies. We know that that uh, having time is is good for both making people more creative, making people more productive. For example, an Air New Zealand study found that uh, after 2 weeks of vacation, employees uh, got about one extra hour of quality sleep per night and their reaction times were 30 to 40% faster than they have been and this lasted for a period of months until it was necessary to take a little time off uh, again sas uh the the company in north carolina a great example they went to a 35 hour work week for example they have uh, everybody starts with uh, uh three or four weeks uh, vacation and the, they've been a very very profitable company in the software industry uh, jan a cleaning company in cincinnati uh, profits approved, uh, improved appreciably when they went for example to a three week uh, vacation to start with for people. I think one of the real exemplary companies is Patagonia, which simply has a philosophy that that uh, workers really matter and their time matters. And the founder and owner of Patagonia, Yvonne Chouinard, has written what I consider just a terrific business book uh, called Let My People Go Surfing hmm. that explains his philosophy and how that has worked in the company. And we know that Patagonia, despite also... Having probably the best environmental standards in the industry, uh, it's just a terrific company to work, and it is very profitable.
0: Well, great. So you don't have to go broke when you uh, when you when you provide these kinds of benefits to your employees. No, you
1: don't, and, and you certainly get less turnover uh, because employees are uh, are loyal to companies that that treat them right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, just a reminder that uh, you can engage John DeGraff as a speaker for uh, your event or order a copy of his book, Take Back Your Time, and tap into the rich resources on his website by visiting www.timeday.org. Um, John, around election time here in the U.S., we often hear words uh, the words family values. They seem to be pretty popular things to talk about at this time of the, uh, uh, you know, in this era of election time. Um, but but never in connection to time, family values, but never values about time, uh, yet, your book uh, insists that time is a family value. Can you tell us why and discuss the impact of all this on the family
1: well I, sh- uh, I sure can uh, uh, in fact, um, the whole question is I mean how you can really even have strong families without having time for those families to be together i mean that that is the most essential thing. And, and the biggest threat to families in our in our country today is people working these long hours, not seeing each other, often working different shifts and not seeing each other, not being able to be there for the children, uh, to supervise the children. One of the things we see in the United States is the highest level of, of children's accidents and death rates in the industrial world, of preventable deaths. And part of that is because Parents are not able to be there for their kids. Uh, In other countries, there are many, many uh, kinds of things that allow parents to spend considerably more time with their children. Uh, In the uh, Netherlands, for example, a law allows parents to go to part-time work, if they choose it, and keep their hourly salary and uh, prorated benefits which definitely gives parents options when they have small children to uh, to work less, earn a little bit less, but really spend that time with their family. Um, what we see is that uh, that uh, it, it is harder and harder. I'm not saying that parents don't spend time with their kids. They still do today, but they've had to sacrifice other things like time for their own marriage and time for themselves. and. And we see that, I think, in the the, uh, uh, problems with, with marriage in this country, one of the highest divorce rates, for example, in the industrial world.
0: Yeah, and, and and closely related to this need to, to work, uh, you know, that we have here in this country, of course, you talked about benefits just a little bit there, uh, but is the whole issue of health care, and recently you forwarded an article that you had authored um, that's, you know, just looking at the whole health care uh, issue. Could you say, share some of your thoughts with us as to how health care ties into this whole problem of overwork?
1: Well, Excuse me. Absolutely, I can. Um, We talk an awful lot about health care in this country, and the emphasis is always on health care and not on health. And I think that's a mistake because, really, one of the key reasons why we are spending so much in health care is because we're not very healthy uh, in comparison to other countries. And when I say we're spending so much, what we have to understand is that out of the $4 trillion spent annually on health care in the world, Nearly half of that, about 1.9 trillion, is spent here in the United States. So we're spending half the world's healthcare budget, nearly 20% of our gross domestic product, some nearly $8,000 per person on healthcare, and yet our health outcomes are the worst in the industrial world. Since 1980, we have dropped from 11th in longevity, or life expectancy in the world, to now 46 according to the CIA. Mm-hmm. Uh we're 42nd in uh, children, uh infant mortality, 40, 40th in maternal mortality. And if you live in the United States, you are nearly twice as likely to suffer from chronic diseases like heart disease, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes so forth uh, after the age of 50 than if you live in Europe. Mm-hmm. So those uh uh we don't have good health outcomes. And we're paying a huge amount of money. Now, my mom told me that you get what you pay for, but we don't get what we pay for. Mm -hmm. We're paying enormously, and we're not getting very much. One of the reasons for that is that we're focused only on health care. And my argument is that we should treat health as as a house in which health care is merely the roof. It's the last thing that kind of protects us from disease, from the elements. And in our country, we've got a roof that you'd have to say was gold for what it costs. For. But it also has 47 million holes in it, and that is the people who are uninsured, and another 50 people, million people who are underinsured in this country. So, so that's, that's health care. But to keep health up, you need to pay attention to the whole house. That starts with the foundation, and the foundation is how we take care of kids. A UNICEF study found that the United States ranks 20th of 21 industrial countries in terms of the welfare of children. That starts with things like prenatal care, where we don't pay the same amount of attention that other countries do. And most importantly, it involves paid family leave, which in the world today, only four countries don't guarantee paid family leave, at least to mothers. Those four countries are the United States, Papua New Guinea, Swaziland, and Liberia. That's it. Uh, Why does that matter? Well, what we find is that paid family leave has an enormous effect in terms of making children healthier, uh, in terms of their bonding with their parents, in terms of being more ready to learn when they go, go into school, less likely to have ADHD, a number of factors that end up meaning much less cost and better health for those kids later. And let me quickly summarize the four walls. Wall number one is lifestyle, and that's things like how we eat and how much exercise we get, very much affected by time. With time pressure, we don't have the opportunity to do those things as other countries do. Number two is stress relief, and uh, our time pressure creates a huge amount of stress. You put that on top of the insecurity that is uh, currently rampant in the United States, and you see enormous stress, and people certainly need uh, decent time breaks in order to, uh, to de-stress. Hmm. Third factor is connection with other people, relationships. That may be the most important. The worst thing you can do for your health is to be lonesome. But we don't have time for those connections, and studies are showing that Americans have fewer friends that they can count on than ever before, and that we socialize less than people in other countries. And number four is environmental uh, health and safety, and that's not so much affected by the issue of time, but it is something we need to pay attention to.
0: Wow, and that group of countries that, uh, that we are associated with through those unfortunate statistics is a rather interesting group of countries to be aligned with. Um, uh, do, I, I just, uh, do you feel, John, that you know when you think of the whole issue of health and health care, do you feel there's a moral issue with um, profiting off of health care in this country?
1: Well, I think that there is, and and I think that we need to make some very major changes in our health care system. Certainly um, people are finding that single-payer systems have been much more effective in terms of reducing costs, for for example. Uh, if you look at it, it's an interesting statistic uh, Americans spend about 6.8% of our gross domestic product on government-sponsored health care. That is health care we pay for f- with our taxes. That on top of another 11% or more that we pay to private industry to, to take care of us. Now, in most other countries, they're spending about 7%, maybe up to 10% on health care. Almost all of that is government uh, money, but they're really not spending any more tax money on health care than we are. Right. And on top of that, we're spending all this money for the high costs of of, of private health care, and with what results? I mean, uh, negative results in comparison to the, uh, others. So I think there is a moral issue involved there. I think we have to pay attention to that, but I think we also have to pay attention to improving our health. And One thing I forgot to say is that there's a bill called the Healthy Families Act, for example, that would give Americans seven days of paid sick leave uh, as a guarantee each year. Right now, 50% of American workers don't get any paid sick leave. We are the only industrial country in the world where people are not guaranteed paid sick leave. And the impact of that is that many Americans go to work sick, they get other people sick, they stay sick longer, they reduce productivity in those places, and they end up costing the healthcare system a lot more. So there's a number of things we need to fix up.
0: I'll say. (laughs) Uh, probably many of us would miss the connection between time and the environment, and you brought that up when you were using your house illustration a few moments ago. It's been suggested by some that we are no longer citizens of this country, that we are instead consumers. How does life in the fast lane impact our environment? Well, it
1: is true that that we Americans, if if uh, where we are number one in the world in, a, in in a big way, is is consuming. I mean, we have bigger cars, bigger houses, and and things of that. More stuff than people in other countries, and so that in itself in, impacts the environment because uh, it it simply takes more land and, and productive land and water, a greater ecological footprint, uh, uh, if you will, to produce that stuff that we are consuming. But secondly, the time pressure in our society that comes uh, that that makes necessary the amount of work that we have to do to produce all that stuff, on top of of course what we buy on credit, and uh, we're seeing the impacts of that. But uh, uh, the, the, the fact is, having to work so much means that we we're less likely to uh, recycle, we're less likely to pay attention to. Uh, kinds of things that we can do to help the environment. We're a lot more likely to use fast and overpackaged foods, uh convenience items, all of these kinds of things. Uh a study in the book uh, in my book done by Tim Casser at uh, Knox College. He's a psychologist there and uh he's done some studies that look at the impact of people with time affluence that is that is people who have quite a bit of time versus those who suffer from time poverty have very little. And what he found is that those people with time affluence do a much better job as stewards of the environment. Hmm.
0: Interesting. Let's talk a little bit about unions, if we could. Um, you know, here in the U.S., uh, of course, I get into a lot of different kinds of organizations in my work, and to even bring up the word union seems to be, you know, it's really taboo. Can you tell us um, if you feel that unions can play a role in, in this uh, time problem that we're also challenged by? and do you, do you ever see unions making a comeback in the U.S.?
1: Well, I don't know whether unions will make a comeback. Um, That's that's a very open question. I do think, though, unions can play a role in helping us gain more time. They certainly played such a role in Europe, uh, where the higher rates of unionization have been a, a big part of the fact that Europeans do have more vacation time and other. Mandated uh, benefits that give people time. Uh, the unions did play a very important role uh, early in our country's history. They certainly led the fight for, for instance, the eight hour day. Uh, it was the International Ladies' Garment Workers Union in New York that first led the fight for the five day work week because they wanted the Saturday Sabbath because many of their members were, were Jewish. So it was uh, when you see those bumper stickers on cars that say the labor movement, the people who gave you the five-day work week, it's absolutely true, Uh, and uh, and the eight-hour day. And unions pushed very hard for these kinds of things uh, in the 30s, 40s, and really on up to uh, into the 1950s. Uh, Then they kind of got away from that a bit, because it's much more more on the money. So. uh, I think that uh, unions should make more of an issue of the time, time issues, and I, and I think working people would appreciate that.
0: I think so, too. As, as you consider our current economy, rising health care and fuel cost, it seems that a lot of folks are so weary from just trying to survive and keep their homes that they might misunderstand the intention of a book called Take Back Your Time. Um, they might not even be able to imagine working less. How do some of these larger systems play into this problem, and how can we reach out and educate people who are really the most severely affected by a loss? Of
1: time? Well, I think many people are afraid, and there is a sort of a sense that you've got to just, you know, work harder than ever in in this particular time. But I think we need to remind people that a lot of folks did that with the idea it might retire early, that they might have a lot more uh, left when they they retired. And uh, and many of those people have lost their 401ks and other things and are now working uh, into their retirement years. So uh, I think we just have to understand that uh, you, in some ways you can't afford not to have time. You can't afford not to take and uh, to certainly try to get and to take vacation time because the studies simply show, for example, what an impact that has on your health. Uh, and we as a society need to understand that we could end up paying a lot more for for things like health care costs, if people were healthier and if they had more time. So I think once people begin to understand those sort of things, that if we do a few of these things, if we use technology to give people uh, a little bit less work, and I don't mean by that that we're going to be slackers and not do anything. Mm -hmm. I I think uh, not only is hard work important, it's also uh, really has a lot to do with with our life satisfaction and our, our our feelings about ourselves, but we're just out of balance. We have to kind of get back to the idea where work is balanced by sufficient time off so that people can rejuvenate, that they can take care of their health, that they can eat properly, that they can take care of their families and the other things that are important to them. And I think uh, understand these things. I, I seldom have a problem with people who say, oh, I don't get that. What I have a problem with is, of course, the people who say, well, we can't afford to do this financially. How will our businesses do this and compete? Uh, and that's where we, we really need the, the broader discussion to understand how, in fact, these things can be cost-saving in, mm-hmm. in, 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 and rather than, than simply cost-increasing.
0: And it seems like we're you know at a at a time in in our history as a country with so many different factors coming together that this is the time that we really could make that realization and look at you know European countries that appear to be doing you know their their businesses certainly are 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 very viable and they've not suffered but yet they have these these benefits in place would you agree?
1: Oh, I would agree, and I think you know, of course, this current crisis, this banking crisis is affecting everybody europeans americans uh, uh really all over but uh, um, prior to this we we certainly were not seeing uh, any any problem with these European countries competing. in fact, they were doing very well, and if we compare, for example uh, global trade deficits, the United States has enormous trade deficits uh, Germany by contrast, which has terrific. Uh, working hours for people and things like that has a huge trade surplus and uh is the, the 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 biggest manufacturing producing country even more so than China is able to make that stuff and sell it to the world and earn a profit despite giving workers you know five weeks of vacation and other kinds of benefits so uh the euro of course was rising uh quite rapidly it dropped a little bit in the last uh, uh, month or two but but overall, uh, the European economy has been forming, performing well, and American investors have invested in great uh, amounts in, in Europe. I think your first comment that this time of crisis may be an open door to some changes, I, I think that that's very true, that we should see the crisis as an opportunity, much as the crisis of the Great Depression, which this most resembles, at least mm-hmm. certainly with the stock market crash. Uh, much like that crisis, which opened the door to things like the 40-hour work week and the minimum wage and Social Security and, and those kinds of things which made America a much more middle-class society and successful society.
0: I, I, I do hope that that we can see it as an opportunity. Sometimes I feel like, you know, we have this existence here in in this country where we're really not allowed to call things what they truly are. I guess because of the recent Wall Street crisis, we're at least allowed to say that maybe we're in a recession at this point. Mm, yeah,
1: <laughs> uh, closely. It's an interesting thing. I mean, yeah, I would have. Uh, who would have? Uh, who could have predicted the day when the Treasury Secretary for uh, a Republican president like George Bush would have been talking about partial nationalization of the banks. Mm-hmm. I think that shows that these are unusual times, Yes. and that these unusual times mean that it, at the very least we need a new national dialogue about possible solutions, and we need to think out of the box about some of these.
0: absolutely. Absolutely closely related to the amount of time that we spent working here in the U.S. is our disappearing vacation time. And you've already started to talk about this with your example of the uh, the lady in, in the hotel setting. Uh, in the introduction of your book, you state that America's Americans work more hours than medieval peasants. So that was a kind of a painful line in the book for me. And on your website, you discuss survey results from the Opinion Research Corporation who polled Americans this year regarding vacation time. Can you tell us how our vacation time really compares to the rest of the world and what your organization is doing about the problem of disappearing vacation time here in the U.S.?
1: You bet. Uh, we have a campaign called Right to Vacation and a website, Right to Vacation dot org, which you can go to. You put in the number two, Right to Vacation or To, either one. That'll take you there with lots of information about our campaign, which is to try to get a three-week paid vacation law in the United States. And we have a bill that uh, we believe will be introduced in the next session of Congress. How far it will go, we don't know yet, but we we want to get that conversation talked about. Mm-hmm. Because every other industrial country and some 137 countries in the world have paid vacation laws. Uh, Really, the amount of vacation time that Americans get is pitiful compared to other countries. We are extremely vacation-deprived. The poll that was done by the Opinion Research Corporation found that last year, 28% of American workers... Uh, had no paid vacation time at all or took no paid vacation time. About 23% had none, mm-hmm. and another 5% didn't take any. On top of that, 24% of American workers t- took only about a week or less. So we're looking at half the population of the United States with a week or less of paid vacation time in the course of a year. That's absolutely unheard of in in every other rich country and in many, many poor uh, countries as well, and it has enormous impact. Uh, we know studies show, for instance, that men who don't take regular vacations are 32% more likely to suffer from heart disease, women 50% more likely to suffer from heart disease. Women who don't take regular vacations are 50%, uh, uh excuse me, 100 to 200% more likely to suffer from depression than women who do, and I we, I haven't seen comparable figures for men, but there's been a big study that um, the Marshfield Clinic in Wisconsin did on women regarding that. So the health I- issues are huge. Uh, the family issues, the family vacation is an endangered species. About a third fewer American families take vacation together compared to a generation ago and those vacations are shorter. Now, when I make the point about peasants, uh, studies do show this. Historians estimate that uh, peasants uh, around the time of the beginning of the re- Renaissance in Europe worked an average of about 1,600 hours a year. They worked about nine hours a day, but they had a lot of uh, breaks, in particular seasonal breaks They'd work really long in the harvest time and not so long in the winter. And they had a lot of holidays, uh, holy days, for the the saints in which they celebrated and took off work. That's about the same number of hours that Europeans work today, Mm. and it's uh, some 300 hours less than American workers on average work.
0: Amazing, absolutely amazing. What progress would you say we have made as a nation in the last five years since you first introduced the idea of Take Back Your Time Day, the October the 24th celebration? Um, are 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 we getting there? Have we made some progress? And what can each of us do to make some small but meaningful changes in our lives?
1: Well, I think people, more, more people are thinking about this and we certainly hear it from people who are saying, you know, I'm taking my vacation, it's important to me, I understand why this matters, uh, but that's anecdotal. I, I don't know, uh, evidence seems to be that actually vacation time, uh, in the aggregate for people mm-hmm. is, is still continuing to decline uh, and that people are actually working working longer. Although, with a recession, you get a little bit of a reduction in in working hours. You get a little bit of a reduction in employment. But uh, (laughs) overall, we haven't seen the progress. Uh, We still don't have a, a, a law providing sick days in the United States. We do have, since 2003, three states which have passed laws that provide at least a minimum amount of family leave to parents when they have a child.
0: What states Those three are they?
1: states are California, Washington, and New Jersey. Uh, and uh, Oregon is very close. It failed by one vote in Oregon. So uh, there's been a little progress along that line, mm-hmm. but uh, pitifully small. Still no no laws re- regarding vacation time. Uh, uh, the Healthy Families Act has been held up in Congress. I think that it has a very good chance of passing next year and of at least assuring that people will have seven days of paid sick days. The city of San Francisco, by initiative, passed an initiative that gives uh, a week of paid sick days to workers in San Francisco. I think Madison, Wisconsin, is doing something similar. So there have been these little, little positive blips around mm-hmm. the country, but overall, uh, uh, things are pretty unchanged.
0: Well... That 's disappointing news what are, what are some of the the small steps that each of us might take to try to you know um, educate ourselves, be more aware of the fact that maybe there really are uh, other ideas out there outside of the u s that it's that it's you know um, that it's uh maybe more progressive, there's other ways of of thinking about these things that we can take to to people that are in positions to write laws. What are some of the things that you'd suggest that that we could each do?
1: Well, I think you're right. The the first thing is in the United States is that I think we have to get over this unwillingness to to look to other places for good ideas, Mm -hmm. this sort of sense that we're number one. Um, For example, the president the fact that there is not one shred of evidence to support this still says that we have the best health care system in the world. Right. Uh, he still will go around and say that. Now, the World Health Organization ranks us 37th, and the outcomes, as we can see, are miserable compared to other uh, industrial countries. But. With no evidence whatsoever, the president can say this and not be called on it Mm -hmm. because Americans simply are not looking and seeing what's going on. We don't see, for example, that even in Canada, right next door, uh, parents are allowed up to a year paid time off when they have a child. Mm -hmm. That has saved the Canadians so much money in children's health care costs that they're now talking about extending that to 18 months. So, um, you know, these, these things are beneficial but we need to look and see what other countries are doing and not think that we're just the best in everything and we have nothing to learn. That's gotten us into a lot of trouble.
0: Mm-hmm. We've
1: had a president who's focused on, on that all the time, that we know it all, and we have nothing to learn from anyone else. We need to turn that around. That's kind of on the national basis. And then think of some of the policies that we can do that will, on a local basis or a personal basis. I think we need to see what you know, what's our own life, how is this affecting us, am I, how long am I working, how do I feel, how does my health feel, what's happening to my family, and go to our employers. And if we are employers, understand and talk with, with workers and try to improve these situations, uh, both on the shop floor and in the, in the office. Uh, and then, you know, personally for workers to say, geez, uh, you know, I, I might like a little more vacation time next year instead of a way, of a raise. Uh, and uh, convince the, the the employer that, in fact, that would be good for the company, good for the health of the worker, and everything else. We, we've just got to start changing our priorities and okay. say we don't just value the money and the stuff. We really do value the time. We value our health. We value our families. We value all these other kinds of things. Uh you know, beyond that it's, it's really we need this national dialogue and then we need people just to 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 go as individuals to their employers, do what they can to try to change things and uh and get together with other working people to try to do the same, whether it's in unions or or simply in in, in, uh, in uh other kinds of groupings.
0: Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent ideas, and, and I want to thank you, uh, John, for your work in this really important area of each of our lives and encourage folks to order a copy of your book, Take Back Your Time. Um, and, of course, they can do that by going to your website, timeday.org, timeday.org. I'd like to mention our November edition of bookends where we'll be featuring the international best Seller, uh, love 'em or leave 'em, which is written by Beverly Kay and Sharon Jordan Evans, will be featuring this interview on November the 19th at 11 o'clock Eastern Time. We'll also be featuring books written by Kim Cameron, Vernon Williams, and Peter Block on future bookend sessions. To be sure that you're always in the know about bookends events, go to teamapproach.com and sign up for our notifications under the bookends button of our website today. You'll also find archive recordings from all of our bookend sessions there. Each of us uh, have really, really have our lives, our lives are really our time. That's all our lives really are. And, and your book has has given us the opportunity to really examine how we're spending the only resource that is truly ours. We thank you for this important book, for your good work, and for being our wonderful guest today on Bookends. Ends, John DeGraff. Thanks so much. The pleasure is open mind. Thank you. Bye-bye now. bye